Hello, I'm Drew Brees, and welcome to my podcast, where I have conversations about what it is to be a brown person in Los Angeles and our different narratives. What do I mean by brown? Anybody who's Latino, Latina, Chicano, Chicana, Latinx, Afro-Latinos, or anybody who identifies themselves as a person of color. This is Being Brown in L.A. All right, guys, welcome again to another episode of Being Brown in L.A. Uh, I'm Drew, and today's guest is a good friend, a photographer and photo instructor, Rebecca Joyce Savala. How's it going, Rebecca? Hey, Drew. It's going really well, and I'm super happy to be talking with you. So tell us, Rebecca, what do you do? So I'm a photographer um, here in Los Angeles. I do a lot of photography around the architecture and urban landscape of our city. And I also am a photography instructor. All right. And I know that you've been doing a lot of stuff online um, because of COVID. So how's that going for you? It's it's slow going, but it's getting there. It's, it's, um, it's kind of a new venture from instructing from within the structure of an actual school so to speak to now as a freelance instructor and having to teach everything online which means all the marketing has to be done online i don't have the same um, contact with people as i did before where i could market myself that way Um, so it's definitely a new challenge but it's working out and i enjoy it i find that the students that i have enjoy it as well and I hope to be able to continue this because it, it, it means we can still keep creating. We can still keep doing what we want to do, what we love to do, which is, in my case, you know, make photos, document our existence during this difficult time, and then help other people find that creative voice as well. Definitely. I feel like this, you know, COVID has sort of been the, you know, sort of the catalyst of creativity due to necessity. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, now that we don't have the same social constructs as we did before, we have to sort of figure out a way to still do the things that we need to do and do the things that we love just in different formats. So having to go online and like learn something and like having to talk to somebody from the other side of the fence and, you know, not going around so many friends and having to wipe everything down. I mean, in some ways to me, it's a dream because, you know, I love cleaning stuff. <laughs> you do. <laughs> and wiping down. So like, if, you know, full disclosure, me and Rebecca used to work together. Um, and she knows how I am about cleaning stuff. Yes. I know you're a neat freak and a clean freak. And that's okay. That's why I liked working over on your side. Yeah. So like, to me, it's like, I needed to be, you know, I just need everything to be clean just so I know I feel better about myself. And this is before COVID. Yeah. Like people think that this is just a COVID thing. Like, this attitude I've had for a long time, like if I don't have to touch people or, or be close to people, it would be my complete dream all the time. But Yeah, no, you've been the king of the Lysol wipes <laughs> since since before there was a pandemic. Yeah, I, I love that. But, uh, you know, nowadays we, you know, having to tell adults to wear a mask and wash their hands to me, it's still like it sounds very ridiculous. 
there is yeah. a lot of soft brain people out there that um, don't understand how this works and and why people keep getting sick and and so I feel like you know they have to keep being reminded you know wash your hands wear a mask don't be stupid and I feel like those are simple things that you should know they're very simple things but people also have a very selfish nature and it really requires going outside of that and realizing okay this is as much as we all want to live in our own bubbles we don't we have to as a society sometimes do things for the better good of everybody for the health of everybody so you know yes i would love to be going out to brunch still i'd love to be going to coffee shops and bars i'd love to be hanging out with you in person um but those are sacrifices we all should be making i feel for, like a, you know for everybody's health nowadays it makes more sense when i watch walking dead and all those crazy shows are apocalyptic <laughs> i'm like how did it get out of control why didn't they just kill the zombies and now i'm like no now i get it they must have been stupid ass people out there just walking around saying like no the zombies are not gonna get me they're, they're not I'm, I'm gonna be okay and then boom you yeah. get but you get bitten now you understand why in all the horror movies people run back into the house or they run toward the scary yes, sound or they they're, run they're fucking idiots yeah <laughs> <laughs> and we should have yeah. known that those people would have voted in for you know voted trump in so now now we know yeah now we know. and now they're the ones coughing all over people yes in coffee shops and, and crying about like that. that they need a haircut and and why won't you let me in and yeah they're losing their yeah, fucking mind exactly so let's talk about you for a second <laughs> um okay so tell us a little bit about yourself um let's start with like what do you identify as um so that's that's a complicated question in my case because i am biracial um my dad is english and my mom is from el salvador and my upbringing was in both places um so as much as i think that in most families, and especially in mine, the culture was passed on through the matriarchal lines. So I grew up much closer to my mother and my maternal grandmother than I did to any of my dad's side of the family. So culturally, um, I identify very much as salvadoreña. Um, I've never made fish and chips in my house, but I do make pupusas. So to, to give you an example oh. of, of, yeah, so, you know, and so culturally very much um, Central American. And lately since we've been, um, or should be, all really examining um, ourselves and our place in society and examining privileges we have and, and, and really understanding ourselves better as a multicultural society um some people for the first time grappling with what is the legacy of slavery and the legacy of of slave patrols and um feeling like that tension has come to a head um you know for a lot of us it really should involve a lot of examining of ourselves and so um i've had to um, really kind of re-examine how I identify myself as a Latina, as a Salvadoreña, yeah. 
when I also know that I present as white, that my dad is white, um, that my last name is white. Um, so I, I, I have to really just identify as biracial um, yeah. to make sure that I acknowledge both sides. That's a really hard thing when, especially for Latinos who are not biracial, who are, you know, one or the other, either Mexican or either Salvadorian or either South American, whatever country they would be from, when they're passing, you know, there's that sort of thin line where they have some privileges that others, other Latinos don't have, mm -hmm. but then in some cases they'd have the guilt that comes with that. And I mm -hmm. think that, you know, recognizing both that you have the privilege and that you have the guilt, that it's okay to just deal with that. But you also have to consider that as long as you're doing it for the greater good of yourself and the greater good of other people, then there's, there's really no shame in being a passing Latino because it's, it's really not your fault. You know, right. You know, like when my brother was, when my little brother was born and, and he was super, super blonde and super white, a lot of people would think that we were just taking care of a kid that, that <laughs> right. wasn't part of our family. And, and it was funny too, because, you know, as he grew older and he was made fun of by the cousins, he had, he would take his shirt off and try to suntan in the back to, <laughs> to oh, be more funny. brown. And I thought, man, like, and, you know, and I was young and I was like, you know, you have an ability to be able to meld in that world and, and sort of pass. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's no shame in that. But um, I understand his, you know, his grief that he wanted to be just like everybody in the, in the family, like Brown. Um, yeah, you want to fit in your family for sure. And, and like, um, because I grew up with my mom's side of the family and my mom's childhood friends just being around really all Central Americans. And, and my mom's brother, he married a Mexican lady. And so my cousins, you know, primos hermanos, cousins that, that are close to me, um, they identify as Mexican. And yeah. and so like, you know, our family is very multicultural. Um, it's, it's kind of a struggle sometimes to fit in completely, you know. Um, it's like I'm if I'm in a brown space, I'm, I'm not really brown enough to be there. Um, and then in my particular case, uh, and I don't know um, if you knew this, but I was undocumented for many, many years. We, we came here um, I, legally. We came as refugees from El Salvador um, and went through the application process for TPS, for um, asylum, you know, sometimes had work permits. Um, in my case, I aged out um, before we'd been accepted. So um, I spent probably 20 years of my life being undocumented. Um, so a lot of the privileges that I may have enjoyed by being a white passing Latina or, or being perceived as not an immigrant were completely erased anytime the need for papers were, was involved. And that, that creates like a, a systematic stress in someone's life to like be in a country where you're constantly living in fear of getting deported. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I feel like a lot of people don't understand that it's, it's sort of, you know, it's like any brown man's stress where like, I'm going to walk out that door and I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. When I start driving um, or doing stuff, like having being an immigrant creates so much stress in their lives that it it's detrimental to people's health. 
No, it is. It absolutely is. It contributes to anxiety. It contributes to um, a lot of stress that's harmful for your mind, for your body. Um, and I don't claim at all to identify with um, what black or Afro-Latino or dark-skinned Americans have to go through um, just being perceived and stereotyped a certain way for the for the way that they look. Um, but if there's one thing I can identify with is, is a petrifying fear of the police because I knew that if I got pulled over, if I was at a protest and, and they decided to arrest everybody there, um, you know, they could check my papers. They, they might ask me for my expired license. They might, you know, I never knew what the repercussions would be. And I knew that if I got deported, coming back would be impossible. So it's a different, it's a different way of life when you have to curb some of the things that you want to do just to be safe. Oh yeah. And I, and I get that, but I was very excited knowing that I was going to have you on the show because you were my first Central American. And Am I? Uh, yeah, you were the oh, first Central awesome. American that I interviewed. So like, uh, it's really, it's really good because to me, it's like, you know, as an Afro Latino kid, like I have so many different, you know, uh, bloodlines that come that make up this beautiful person in moss that I have on my head. But it I needed to have somebody from that. I mean, I know you didn't grow up in L.A., but you did spend a lot of time here in L.A. and you've been in, mm -hmm. in Angelina for a while. But having a, a Central American woman um, oh, good. be part of it was really exciting because, you know, growing up. Uh, I had a multicultural family as well, you know, Mexican cousins and, you know, Central American Guatemalan cousins. And I never got to meet any of the Brazilian side or anything like that, but really just got to spend time with the Central and Mexico part. And uh, so it's very exciting to have somebody who understands the love of black beans, you know, oh, the, love yeah. of, <laughs> the love of certain things that we like in food. I mean, even though there's there's a there's minor differences. I mean, our tamales are different than your tamales and and uh, that, yeah, they're also different true. than Mexican tamales. So, I mean, there's but there's some kind of I would say common thread with Central Americans that is different yeah, than other cultures. It's, I mean, a lot of um, I, I don't know a ton about the really ancient history, but the that entire Central American Isthmus it shares um, a lot of our um, First Nations, a lot of our indigenous culture is all shared uh, yeah. among the, the Central American region. So there's a lot of similarities in culture and food. And um, the only thing I will say is don't don't eat pupusas in Costa Rica. Oh, no. No, they don't know what they're doing. Oh. <laughs> I thought, see, I thought, you know, we're all Central American. We should, yeah. we should know this, but no. Do no, they call them the Salvadorian pupusas or are they just their own pupusas? It's their own pupusas. Ah, okay. Yeah. Is it like a gordita with repollo in it? Um, no, it's like they put the cortido inside of it. Oh, no. Ahead of time. So for those of you guys who don't know what a pupusa is, I, I don't know why. You wouldn't, but I don't you know, know why either. Pupusa, of course, is um, like a dough tortilla, but with a surprise in the middle. And most yes. of the time, it would be like beans and cheese, but then you get a little extravagant and you put loroco, which is like a vegetable, like almost like a stem. It's vegetable. a flower. It's a flower. Okay, and then. Yeah. Sometimes if you if they go to a fancy place, they put like chicharron, and I know that you guys know what chicharron is, you know, it's pork yeah. rinds. Um, 
and then you would put cortido on top, which is like a fermented cabbage, maybe. Yeah, you would say yeah, yeah, yeah like fermented cabbage. cabbage. And I guess in Costa Rica they shove it inside. They shove the cabbage <laughs> inside. Oh man, okay. <laughs> then, yeah, I don't think yeah. that that would be my my liking either. Um, yeah. So with that, without you know, that would be my exception that I know of. But yeah. for the most part, Central Americans are, you know, we're we're brethren. We share a very very long history. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Especially here in LA, you know, like a lot of what people don't understand is that when a lot of the Central Americans came in the seven in the late seventies and and the early eighties. Um, it stemmed from a lot of the revolutions and the civil wars that were happening in Central America. Mm -hmm. um, you know, not only were they just trying to escape being murdered, but then they would come to L.A. And as immigrants usually do, you know, when you have one group coming into your area, you start to push back. Right. And Mexican-Americans were here and they've been here for a very long time and, and they were being attacked. And so suddenly you have all these what they called border brothers coming down and moving into their neighborhoods and taking their jobs, there became a lot of, refer, you know, a lot of pushback. And of course, that's where most of these gangs came from, because a lot of them were defending themselves against other Latinos. Right, right. That's a, like, I think a common misconception of lumping all Latinos together. Yep. Um, but we have very, very different histories. Yeah. And, you know, we are on land that, you know, after being Tongva land, uh, was Mexican land. And so I know that Mexican-Americans have a very, very long history here um, and have a very strong sense of belonging um, to Southern California specifically, but the Southwest in general, um, whereas Central Americans are much more recent immigrants. You know, we came, um, and we came under different circumstances. We weren't necessarily coming over as uh, just looking for economic opportunities, um, although, you know, I know Mexico does have its history of violence and people fleeing that, but we had very specific revolutions and civil wars that we were fleeing. Um, and just because we're all Latinos doesn't mean the Mexican American community was going to embrace us. No, not at all. <laughs> and I think, you yeah. know, it's part of the American culture to not like another group that's coming in and seeking the same things that your group was seeking. Right. And I do feel that that there's a bit of privilege that Mexicans do enjoy and, and should have because they were here before anybody was here. Well, they were here before any of the new nations were here. The Native Americans, of course, were here longer than anybody. And right. some of those lines get blurred between Mexico and some of the natives because there's people that can track you know, being Native American, then sent to Mexico, then came back. Um, right. And then there was a lot of Spanish settlers here that sort of owned a lot of property. Um, and then somehow everybody got pushed out. And so I think that there's something about being Mexican in the Southwest because this is your original land. And so is Texas. Um, and then we were kicked out by criminals that came down to Texas and then there was this war, and then they were like, oh, this is our country now. You guys get out. Right. Um, and, you know, even the history of the area that I'm in, you know, there was Verdugo, which is a street where, one of, you know, one of the places that I used to live was, um, is a name for a person who owned a whole lot of land mm -hmm. in Highland Park and Glassell Park. And, he and was I the, think all of Glendale. 
part of Glendale too. Yeah, and he was Mexican, and he had a lot of sheep and a lot of like flowers and fruit that was being grown here. And suddenly, these two white settlers came down here and kicked him out. And through laws that America had established, made his property claim illegal, and so forth. They just took his land. Right. So, that happened a lot. Yeah. Or you know, in the case of a lot of like, um, I've been learning, at, you know, the recent um, protest at Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Um, I I learned like a lot of us did that that the land was taken by violating treaties yes. that the United States had originally agreed to. So sometimes even you know they'll either pass laws that take your land or disobey the ones that exist. It, it almost and there's a lawlessness when it comes to the me U.S. government. Is that the Trump supporters, the ignorant racist Trump supporters, were telling Native Americans to go back to where they came from, <laughs> which. In all actuality, that's where they came from. That's you're exactly standing in their land. You're from. in you're in their property, and you're telling them to go where they came from. They need to tell you to get the hell out. You know, right? No, exactly. And you know, I don't, I can't wrap my brain around it. I know that there was a lot of um, dehumanizing of Black and Indigenous people to try to, I guess, curtail any guilt about enslaving and slaughtering. So, you know, the original settling Europeans were kind of told, don't, don't worry about it. You can go ahead and take that land. You can enslave those people. They're less than human anyway. They're, they're, they're not as worthy a human being as we are anyway. Go ahead and, and take the land and, and take the workers. But how that has carried over almost unchallenged to where here we are in 2020 and there's still people thinking this is a white country and only white people are entitled to the land and to cheap labor and to exploitation. Um, and it, it's really sickening that there's people still thinking that this is, this country somehow belongs to Europeans and to the descendants of those European settlers. And I think it, even when slave theory was sort of like in its heyday, the Dutch went as far as having papers written to justify why they were enslaving black people, you know, saying, hey, mm -hmm. like this, you know, they're inferior and we're, you know, helping them and they're going to starve to death. And, and, you know, they were trying to create a thought that this is why people can be slaves. Yeah, the same the, thing was done for Native Americans. If you killed the slave, you owed, a man, you owed somebody a lot of money. But if you killed the Native American, it didn't really matter. And there's right. paperwork that has those things on it that tells you exactly what the rules are. Yeah, there's letters from um, like old Catholic priests and and bishops or whatever status they had. But um, the Roman Catholic Church was part of the original settling of like the Caribbean islands and um, you know Florida. Mexico, Central America, and there's also documents that they sent back saying, yeah, the people here, they are barbaric, they are um, uncivilized, and, you know, therefore we're doing them a favor by taking over their land and teaching them new customs and, you know, enslaving them. You know, as a kid of, uh, who grew up in California, and, and we traveled a lot when I, when I was a kid, and we did all the missions, you know, I find that missions are very problematic. Mm -hmm. In the they sense are. that, like, even when I, I used to go to San Capistrano down south a lot, and that was probably one of the favorite places of my parents. Um, 
But that mission, like one time we were getting a, a guided tour and, and this lady who I think was Native American was like, straight out was like, yeah, if people didn't convert to Catholicism, they would starve because the priests okay. wanted to convert everybody by force. And the only way to do it was to do it through food and to do to allocate land that already belonged to them, but now was being sectioned off by the uh, Catholic Church. So the Catholic Church right. had a huge part in slavery and converting Absolutely. people into Catholicism by force. And so to me, when I see the missions, yeah, there's a history of California and, you know, they paint this road, which is the, the Regal Road and the Golden Road that, you know, take you to the mm -hmm. different... The Camino Real. Yeah, the, the different missions. But I just think to me, it's like another trail of tears. It's another systematic it's what it is. chain of slavery in a different yep. way, but it's still slavery, whatever you call it. So I yeah, think and that, they enslaved um, First Nations people to build those missions. Yeah, yeah, those 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 missions were not built by Spaniards, and mm. uh, no no priests laid a hand on any of those stones that were built there. Which is funny too, because if you go to San Crepistrano, there is a um, cross in the back of the mission that, when you look at it, has a lot of symbols that are native. And I think whoever built those was like, all right, I'll make you your cross, but I'm going to put subliminal messages in it, oh, which is like awesome. a middle finger to the priests and to the, you know, the Catholic religion yeah. saying, all right, we'll, we'll convert to you. You know, my name will now be Jose or whatever the hell you want it to be, but I'm going to make this symbol. So years from now, people can look at it and be like, ha ha. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that was just, to me, it was like very interesting. I try to ask somebody at the mission, but they kept denying it and i was like these symbols don't look like you know they they're, <laughs> they're not spanish they're not from spain these are very native symbols that you know that everybody who's ever studied the codex of the maya or the aztecs can recognize some of those right you know relatable traits so um i love that even in captivity we our, our brown people were like fuck you <laughs> yeah <laughs> fuck you very much um yeah. so in that sense let's let's talk about some some interesting stuff um, let's get to the heavy stuff first. Did okay. you see the, um, the AOC's, uh, speech about stupid ass Ted Hodo? Oh yeah, I did. That woman is elegant. I did. She is. And like, I just have to applaud the courage to call it out because that there's a lot of people saying, you know, well, I've been called this, I've been called that. It, it's like, no, what she's saying is that women, even women in positions that should be respected, are subject to that kind of violence all the time. And that these men that you're putting in power, these men that you supposedly respect because they're a part of your government, they, you know, if, if they're part of this patriarchal culture that we have, then they probably have committed, most likely have committed that same aggression and violence toward women. And I'm just so, I, I feel horrible that she had to endure that at the same time. I don't know a woman who hasn't, um, but I'm so glad she called it out. I mean, if you're a woman going to work and your coworker comes out and accosts you, starts yelling things about you and tells you you're dangerous because one he's super afraid of you mm -hmm. um, weak men are have always been afraid of powerful women 
And right. because they don't know how to deal with that, because they don't know how to deal with disagreement, they become violent. Right. And that's, you know, small penis energy right there. That's that's, that's the epitome of that. That's, that's what it is. That's what it is. Because it's like, uh, if you're a man, <laughs> especially if you're like a, a brown man, if you're, you know that your mom's in charge, when you see another strong woman, you're like, ah, I know who you are. It doesn't yeah, make you no. be like, if anything, oh, no. you back down. Oh, why? Why is she talking to me like that? Oh, no, I'm a man. I have to tell her. I'm a... No, you don't. If you have to tell anybody you're a man, most likely you're not really a man. You know, right. you're a boy. Uh, but the fact that he had to tell her that she was dangerous, that to me is like, he might as well just say, I'm really scared of you and what you represent. Right. And that's why I'm mad. And right. Well, no, and it goes even bigger. I think what he's saying is not, I'm not just scared of this one person. It's like you said, it's what she represents because what she represents is hopefully shared among most of the young people in this country now, which is, um, a desire to start actually dismantling the capitalist patriarchy that has kept people of color, that has kept women, that has kept, um, you know, any undermined population as subversive to, you know, the old white man. And what what is threatened um, for him, I think, is not just her being one strong woman, but his entire power structure is built around him being a white guy yeah and if that goes away for a lot of these men they have nothing else but it's such a it's such a power grab for men to try to humiliate and i think that's what he was trying to do is try to humiliate her to to get some power because that's you know what what we're watching is basically the how mediocre white men rise to positions of power and then can't fill their own boots yes it is and now the power structures that led to these mediocre people being in power is being questioned and they don't know how to answer to that this systematic change is not going to benefit just brown people it's going to benefit everybody right if you're a capitalist if you care only about money that this should benefit you. It should benefit you that everybody has an equal way of being able to make money and spend money. Mm-hmm. So you're nothing. Your world is coming undone because you're thinking of the only way that you've always thought is that white males will tell you what to do and how to do it. And no, there's so many different people. There's females. There's males. There's you know biracial. There's black. There's Asian. And everybody gets to be part of this pot so we can all succeed. And the country succeeds. The country becomes educated. Right. The country becomes healthy. We we can move on. There's countries that have people of all nations and creeds and religions, and they're doing better than us right now. And they're looking at us going, oh, at least we're not American. I know. That's Isn't that really sad? We're like... It's embarrassing. We used to go around the world and save everybody and say, America's here. We're going to protect everybody. And now people are looking at us. I mean, we became the Florida of the world. That's, <laughs> That's exactly what. What the fuck? We're the Florida yeah. of the world. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The embarrassing United States. Yeah. We're, we, we got sinkholes. We got alligators. We got mosquitoes. We got dry heat. I mean, we got people at Walmart. I mean... We're the Florida of mm-hmm. fucking the world. And everybody's looking at us going, yeah. oh, don't go there. 
you know and like right mexico closed their borders i mean it's just like those apocalyptic movies where like people try to run back to mexico and mexico's like no thanks i know and in. and you know my partner told me that they read about a some asteroid that was possibly gonna hit the earth or something and my first thought was like why did i pay my bills this month <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, maybe there is some hope for us just getting wiped out. Uh, I mean, I don't know. There, there's got to be a... I think this is the hard reset. And I have... I'm very optimistic because I think people are thinking small. Trump will not be president forever. This too shall pass. Mm -hmm. But the mistake that the racists and the bigots and government officials that are crooked made was that they thought that because they were cowards and they were going to let Trump do this, that they were going to win and what they did is they awoke for real this time the sleeping giant millennials mm -hmm. surprised me completely they yep. band together they did all kinds of stuff they're smart they have strategies mm -hmm. you know they're taking things from other countries people are throwing gas bombs on there and they're putting water into that they got lasers they're doing everything possible and they have no fucking fear they have yeah. no fear. And even younger. I and mean, younger, I saw teenagers out there. And women are out there more than the men. And they're yeah. doing it. And they're, and the other thing they did is black communities banding together to buy properties and do stuff so they can't get moved out. Yeah. And taking, you know, classes where they can, you know, self-care classes, taking classes where they can control themselves. I mean, now there's attention to everything. And we have to attack the monuments. You know, those monuments of losers. Like, why would you carry the flag of a loser and care so much about monuments that glorify treason. If you're a real American, right. why do you care about the Confederate Army? They lost. They lost mm -hmm. so bad that they had to do weird things to survive. I mean, and a lot of people need to go back and read the articles of um, I forget what they're called now, but like the the Confederacy, yeah. kind of what they submitted as as like what they wanted and when they uh, separated from the Union or wanted to separate them from the Union. It was very much centered around slavery. So if anybody wants to wave that flag and claim that it's not about, you know, that it's about Southern culture or whatever that is. But the like, U.S. No, government. flag is about slavery. The U.S. government hung their heroes. And you want to claim them now. Those yeah. men were hung for treason. And after that, their families never, never went back to the status they had. It just got taken over by somebody else. And then mm -hmm. suddenly this ignorance came back. And the thing about it, though, is that here's the truth. Trump doesn't give a shit about poor people. Period. Uh -huh. So if you're white and you're racist and you think that he's got your back, he doesn't care about it. <laughs> he wants you to fight with brown people and black people and everybody else. So you're distracted while he steals money from the country. That's just yeah. it. And so the more that we do that, the more that we don't pay attention. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is like we're over here fighting over like, you know, oh, a brown person took my job or, you know, poor white people are like, wait, but why do, you know, why do black people get, uh, you know, affirmative action? I'm over here struggling, too. It's like while we're in fighting among ourselves, Jeff Bezos attention. is a billionaire. Like, we're not paying attention. And not paying any taxes. Yeah. Like what we need is to be more united as, as just like a working class um, I think if the working class united in this country, we would probably be half the population. If you think about, and we'd have so much power. If you think about why these billionaires are just still raking the money, it's because they're 
trying to align themselves with him because right now they know that everybody's going to attack him. That's the reason why Facebook does it. Facebook is basically letting Trump do whatever he wants on their platform because those senators that support him will save him from getting regulated. And so I think that like, if you sell your soul for that, eventually we're all going to see that you're a coward. And, you know, Facebook, to me, it's like, you know, I, I only talk to my relatives on it. And right. I don't really think it's relevant anymore because I feel like they allow so much hate speech in it because they're trying to keep somebody from putting them down or making them pay more taxes mm -hmm. or making them do more things. And they don't want to be responsible. You know, other places like Twitter and everything have stood up and said, hey, you know what? You're not allowed to do that shit no more. You got to grow up. Um, another thing that I was noticing, too, that's happening a lot and talking about social media is like performative protesting. I love yes. that these people are like, we live in that age where people are like, oh, I'm going to be part of this and I'm going to help out. And I'm going to hold a sign and then you're going to take a picture and everybody's going to know that I was at that protest mm -hmm. or that I held this sign. And yep. I saw that a lot. I saw people putting their kids in photo ops. And I was just like, what? What is this? Yeah. Like, are you really here? Like, are you doing the white savior complex thing where you're like, I'm going to point myself and get myself a little badge because I'm going to help you out. But then you're not yeah. doing the work. Right. No. And um, so that was it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because I think I may even have mentioned it in a post. Um, my partner and I decided we wouldn't go to the protests um, originally because because of COVID. Um, but then the big Hollywood protests happened and we're in Hollywood we're in the Hollywood area so we thought well it's literally we can walk there um you know the protest showed up at our doorstep let's 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 join and and we're both so thankful we did because the energy the um just the overall power of the people who were there was amazing the speakers were amazing um and and it was a fantastic experience to get re-energized to keep um to keep the fight going to keep the 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 keep the anger fueled because that's what that's what keeps you going too yeah um anyway we you know we're both photographers so we took we took photos um documenting it and then i realized i can't share any of these because face uh, fa i mean instagram is saturated with them yeah and and I realized, you know, there's some people legitimately going out to all the social action, social movement action and and documenting them. But then for some people, it just looks like, hey, I was there. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm a good I'm a good white person because I was there. Mm -hmm. um, and so I decided not to share any because I thought I don't want it to get lost in that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some people that have been constantly posting, like, uh, you know, reminders that Breonna Taylor's murderers are still free, uh -huh. that, you know, that so many people are still uh, not getting any bit of justice for, for the people that were murdered in their life. Um, and so there, there's some activism that's there online as a reminder to, to, to keep it going, that this wasn't just a moment, that it's a whole movement. Um but it does get lost when there's so much performance. And I, I would say the biggest thing everybody has to do right now is, and because you can't do it on your own. That's the other thing about 
posting on your social media is it implies you're like a one person movement. Um, join, join something. Yeah. Join BLM. Do the work. Or, you know, um, you know, as Salvadorans, uh, CSPES would be the organization that, that, um, that I contribute to whenever possible or, um, Garesen here in LA. Uh, there's so many organizations you can join. They will, um, help you get through the process of doing the work um, of becoming part of a movement and actually get doing something so rather than just performing it so one of the things that I find really strange and weird and I wanted to ask you about is this whole fascination with some Latinos voting for Trump and the fact that there's a whole gang of people that you know there's signs and flags and Latinos voting for Trump it's almost like somebody wrote, wrote something like cockroaches voting for for poison like it's gonna kill you and so you're still gonna vote for it what, you know what do you what do you think where did this come from um it's interesting it, it I like the cockroaches voting for poison um, analogy um, I think what's interesting about it is after the election, there was this whole um, debate about what is the Latino vote. Um, what's interesting about that is right away I thought, what is the Latino vote? That it, it's assuming that all Latinos have the same experiences, the same goals, the same uh, you know political ideologies, and that's just not the case at all. Um, there are Latinos that came here fleeing, um, U.S. imperialism and, you know, U.S. Uh, involvement in their countries, um, and they will vote a certain way, you know, uh, they're going to vote for somebody who, uh, is probably not going to have a negative, um, policy toward immigrants, uh, toward refugees, because that's, you know, our experience. On the other hand, there are Latinos, like a lot of, uh, like Cubans in Florida, for example, they fled uh, kind of like the revolutionary socialist ideology because they were benefiting from capitalism. They were benefiting from wealth gaps. So they came here as, uh, you know, middle upper class people with middle upper class, um, ideologies. And because, you know, a lot of people in that situation came here with, uh, green cards, just kind of waiting for them. They have their own negative, um, view of the rest of us that had to just kind of make our way here whether it was with papers or not and so you know there's a big divide you can't say you know upper class caribbean people are going to have the same values as you know impoverished uh central american refugees like those are very very different experiences and so to say that there are not wealthy Latinos who would benefit from tax cuts for their businesses that would not benefit from letting them, um, you know, exploit trade agreements, um, that benefit them. Um, 
you know, that, like, we can't say that doesn't exist. One of the many evil facets of capitalism is that money does matter above everything else and your individual well-being matters above that of an entire society or community that's, to me that's just crazy because like you know i, I was, I've, I've been reading roy choice book and how he talks about how families whether they liked each other or not would get together and put money together and then one month this family would do this business and then the next month another family would do that business eventually everybody sort of had a business and they all helped each other out but they all had to participate in putting this money in the pool. So we all succeed or we all don't succeed. You know, it's kind right. of that thing. It's like, this is a sinking ship. So we all got to work together and they made it alive. And, you know, Koreatown went from one street from, you know, Western to Normandy on Olympic to being a whole section now that they yeah. even have a sign telling you that you're in Koreatown. Yeah. That's insane. Koreatown's amazing. Yeah, that's insane to me. And, and and that's what he was talking about. And now there's Koreatown 2, which is all the way in uh, Torrance. Or, no. Did not know that. Uh, I mean, Gardena, sorry. Yeah, there's another Koreatown. So the Koreans kind of moved, and they went to Gardena, which used to be a Japanese area. And there was a lot of Japanese that were living in the area, and I think they started to move out and go to different places. And uh, now the Koreans are moving there. So you can find really good Korean food now in Gardena. Which is amazing. You know what's interesting? Yeah. Gardena is a lot more uh, suburban yeah. than Koreatown yeah. is. And it's wealthier than Koreatown is. There you go. And I would imagine that the politics of Korean uh, Korean Americans in Gardena is different yes. from that of the ones here. So now in more liberal in Koreatown, less liberal and more strengthened in, uh, and more conservative in Gardena. Because they feel yeah, like yeah. now they, these are the people that made it out of Koreatown and we're like, okay, now we have, you know, we're, we don't have to live in these apartments and these things. Now we can own a house and now they're mm -hmm. all more spread out. Um, so it's a, it's a trip to see that. And I think that, you know, that's not a good or bad thing. I think that everybody should, you know, succeed and, and get better. And, you know, moving to suburbia is not like suicide, but at the same notion, it's like, you know, when Trump supporters see brown people they'll be like ah you know you guys are immigrants and you guys are here and they're like no i voted for trump and that's to me that's been weird like to go to these to see these protests and see black people in yeah in shirts that say trump 2020 mm -hmm. uh, that to me is is really weird he's he's playing i mean he's playing on people's insecurities so if you have somehow benefited and made this quote-unquote american dream you want to pro protect the capitalism that you're benefiting from. Yeah. If you feel that immigrants are the reason you haven't succeeded in your life, or even if you are successful, but you have a negative feeling toward immigrants, or let's throw race in there, even among Latinos, there's white Latinos, brown Latinos, Afro-Latinos, you know, and there's, um, there's very clear strata on how people feel about each other. So if you play on people's insecurities about race, if you play on people's insecurities about immigration, on their insecurities about losing their wealth, um, you can get them onto the Republican side of things. Well, one of the things that I, that I, you know, that I find weird that it's like that we're still having this division now, and people don't get it. Like you know, I know remembering, you know, growing up as Afro Latino. I remember 
having people say negative things about black people. And so it's kind of that thing where it's like, you know, at the end of the day, we're all kind of being looked at the same. We're all like immigrants. We're all like criminals. We're all these negative things that people look at us. You know, it's like that same when when you look across the when the cop looks across the street or when you know a racist looks across the street, they just they just see a bunch of people that are not white, and they're like right. all these all, the, all you spigs are the same. And so you know, it's like we're not. We know that we're not, and we try to make these divisions. But then we end up getting screwed over because we try to make these divisions. So. And one of the things that, that to me is trippy is that I started reading a study that some of the most of the black community that's voting for Trump is black males. So there's something okay, about so. black males that is resonating with them about what he's trying to put out. Well, one of Trump's biggest or nastiest energies is also his sexism. Um, he, you know, he speaks negatively about women um he's for controlling women's bodies so again if you appeal to to any of that insecurity so if if there's a male out there who feels emasculated by women coming into any kind of power um you know those are very um very powerful emotional hooks that you can use to get people on your side you know like to me that's insane like wait why are you so scared of this woman what makes you so frightened that if she does something you can do that that now you have no power like how is a woman's sex going to hinder your ability to do what you do unless it hinges on the fact that you feel that you have to always be superior or else you have nothing to live on you have no identity i think that's except for being superior. yeah that's that's you just hit the nail on the head i think though like i think it's a power thing um you know, men still do have so much more power than women do in all aspects. Um, Every man. If any of that, yeah, if any of that starts to feel eroded, I, I guess, you know, that toxic masculine upbringing is going to kick in and tell you you're going to have to fight back against it. How dare you have a woman running alongside you? How dare you have a woman in government? Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, twisted um but sadly it's how i guess it's how we've been raised i, I feel like to me it, there's a disconnect with that because to me it's like uh being from a central american family being from a single parent family uh you know having the mother figure be the dominant figure i don't have any like you know i've had women bosses i've had women co-partners I've, I've worked with so to me i don't have that thing where i'm like oh no she's gonna tell me what to do oh she's crazy you know like and then you know all these things that are so scared like okay so your woman's a boss like now you just have to deal with it. my you know my thing is always like is she a good boss or a bad boss is she like an idiot because i've had idiot bosses you've had idiot bosses mm-hmm. so you know it, it, sex has nothing to do with it they're, they're either stupid or they're not um but i also feel like people are so like you you can see the anger of how they feel like no you know like she can't be and it's like why 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 does that frighten you so mm-hmm. you won't vote for a woman to be president because you think she can't do the job uh, it, it, maybe it's racist maybe it's not even racist. i mean it was to me it was just like they were so afraid of that um mm-hmm. which is funny too because it leads me back to the whole thing about black males voting for trump um a high percentage of the black male of the um, black trans women that had been killed this year 
alone have been killed by black males. So there's something there about how black males feel about, you know, sexuality and how they feel about that. It's it's a strange dichotomy and I think that like even in the Latino culture we have that. We have this thing where we're like, you know, if you're gay, if you're a gay man, you're seen lower than if you're, you know, a lesbian woman. Or even lesbian women have been treated in certain ways. But I think gay men is like an attack. Like you can't be a gay brown person. And it's such a weird dichotomy which I I tried to talk to a friend of mine who told me that he used to go to these clubs. I don't know if you remember um, Arena. Oh yeah, I remember Arena. Arena. Okay, so <laughs> Arena was in Santa Monica Boulevard, yeah. and it used to be called something else afterwards. But Arena was like a big gay club. Yeah. And you know, my friends would go, and one time I got invited to go, and I was like, cool. And one of the things that I noticed when I was there was there was a whole group of gangster dudes, like straight out yeah. cholos. Cholos, gay cholos. gay cholos, and I was like, that blew my mind because I was like, fuck, like I know I'm progressive as fuck, <laughs> I, I could go in a gay club and I could be okay, but these dudes were like straight gangsters. They weren't pretend gangsters. They were real gangsters. No, and I they was were like, real cholos. Oh, shit, that's some real cholo shit. And they were dancing and they were kissing, and I was like, it just literally like I thought I knew some shit. I didn't know anything, and that was an introduction to stuff. But they were still hardcore. They were still like, you know. You can still get your ass kicked, but oh yeah, but it was something about that. And I remember years later, he told me that on Sundays they would have these uh, Mexican nights, like uh, vaquero nights, and people would go in boots and stuff like that. And there'd be oh, a that's bunch dope. of young gay men, and the people that would come that were not the norm were older, straight Mexican men, and they would go to dance with these guys. And it was mainly what you would see would be like older men and young kids. And 90% of the men who would go, the older men, were all married. So to me, it was like, we have to start to break that apart and, and be okay with being ourselves. Why is there a huge number of Mexican older males who want to go and partake in time with younger gay males? Mm -hmm. And I think... Yeah, if you like young boys, like that's cool, as long as they're not kids. Um, but you know, why live your life like that? Mm -hmm. and it's like the it's it's like the down low culture yeah. um, among like black uh, young gay men. But the, the problem with that is that the violence. Mm -hmm. It's like you know, yeah. There's a safe space, and no one will know, and. You know, a lot of times, like, my friend would tell me, you know, he would get numbers from these guys, and, and he they would tell him to call at a certain time or whatever, and, you know, he had a family, and he was like, and one guy even told him, he's like, don't call me, don't, don't try to come look for me, you know, I don't want people to know I'm into this gay shit. And the fact that he said that, he was wow. like, wow. <laughs> five minutes I ago, mean... you were, like, hugging me and kissing me, and now you're calling me names, and it's like, it's that whole thing where, like, anger comes out of yeah why yeah homophobia is a strong strong um really ugly thing and it, it as is toxic mas masculinity yeah. which is where it's coming from yeah you know um i mean i, I feel like if, to be a man it's so complex there's so many things that mean to be mm -hmm. a man but none of it means you're afraid of you know a woman taking your power 
or you're afraid that if you know somebody who's gay that you're gonna become gay it's not like you know it's not like a disease you can't get affected you it's not like you know it's like we're okay living in these worlds if you're really a man if you're taught to be a man you're not scared of all these things these things are okay they don't affect you right uh they can enrich your life you know if you can relate to a woman in a a different way where you're like i'm superior than you and you're like hey we're equals let's do this thing then you can understand things and i feel that those who are not doing that they're getting left behind because the world does move rapidly and new generations are doing all these things and everybody's dancing and doing these videos and stuff like that but these kids have a different understanding and the right. world is going to change and a lot of these other people are going to feel left out and i think that's where these you know proud boys came from that they, they feel like they're left out even their creo is like oh you know i'm not going to apologize for being a dominant male and i'm not going to apologize for creating the modern world but they didn't create shit none of them are scientists or architects or engineers yeah no they didn't make anything but they've benefited from you know this you they've benefited from whiteness yeah. they've benefited from you know male superiority um why would they let that go by having equality? But they don't want to be equal. They're they have no intention of being equal. Because the normal world is not going to work like that. You can get crazy no. as much as you want. People are always going to resist. You can show up with a bunch of guns, and one day someone's going to show up with a bigger gun, and then you're going to be done. And yeah, what's scary, though, is like... Um, I think for our generation, our thought is that, you know, maybe that will die off. Like, maybe the Trumps of the world are pushing 80 years old. Maybe they'll just die off. The problem is you look at Proud Boys, you look at, uh, you know, younger people, there is still a lot of white supremacism. There's still a lot of toxic masculinity. All of that still exists in the kids and grandkids of those people. And it's not going to go away just by you know yeah the old guard dying and I also off. feel like people need to pay attention to the to truth you know Trump is doing all these things in the meantime he's doing all these backward deals with people in the back and the problem is that the real power is not whether you control black people or brown people and white people stay on top it's how rich you are and how you can control things by your money that one percent always has control over everything they're not just racist they're they don't they're classes they don't give a shit about anybody they don't even give a shit about white absolutely people. absolutely you know? and that's the thing is we're sleeping we're basically not paying attention to the truth in the meantime they're like oh biden's gonna raise your taxes oh no you guys are gonna have to pay so much money and a week later the republicans passed a law to raise taxes right right <laughs> so behind their back a lot <laughs> of these white families got affected by the new tax not because of biden but because of trump and they cloaked it by saying, look, look at this guy, Sleepy Joe, and all this other stuff, mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, Sleepy Joe's running a mile and working out and talking to different people and talking to, you know, stuff. And, you know, Trump's got COVID and wears diapers. Yeah. And it's like, you know. <laughs> and the- but, and like, here's the thing I don't have a problem with paying taxes. I pay a lot of taxes, but. You know, while people are fighting over whether an extra hundred dollars comes out of their, you know, taxes every year or something like that, our government is spending billions on turning our police forces into armies, in building our army just for the sake of invading. Nobody's threatening us. This is not a defense system. This is an attack system we're building. Yeah. You know, we put billions of dollars into the Pentagon. We put billions of dollars into. Um, what we call sometimes foreign aid, but it's actually foreign interventions um, just to maintain 
you know, our status in the world to, to be able to extract as much foreign resources as we can to exploit other countries as much as we can. Why are we not ever questioning where our tax money goes rather than complaining about, you know, the poor family that uses $30 a month to buy some groceries yeah. or the extra hundred dollars it might cost me. I'm worried about the billions in tax money that nobody ever seems to question. And I don't think Biden will question that either. No, he's a, he's, you know, he's a foreign policy president. Well, he, yep. he will be, but he's a, he's a foreign policy guy. And so he cares more about other stuff. And he, the, the trouble is that he could make the same mistake that Obama made when he came in, is to start another war. What we need to do is stop interventing ourselves into places that we don't need to be. Yeah. Because that's their, you know, I mean, right now we can't really help everybody because we have a lot of shit to do here. So for for a little bit, that's their problem. And I feel like in other places, people are going to start creating anger, you know, like some mm -hmm. like the Saudis or some other people in the Middle East because we got involved and then we just left them. And then yeah. they were like, well, and, the, and in some countries, we're the ones creating the problem. You know, so we go, we, we're, we're going into other places, uh, you know, using our resources to exploit their resources. And then once they are now scarce and fighting over their resources, then we want to say, okay, well, let's just pull out our armies because we can't afford to do That's that. That's what happened well, in Central America. You know, right. We, we couldn't afford, yeah. you know, we shouldn't have been meddling to begin with. Yeah. Um, we shouldn't have. And again, that's our tax money doing yeah. that. Our tax money went to Central America, Panama, Nicaragua, mm -hmm. Salvador, Guatemala, and we did things over there. And then when we were done, we left, and then it became a vacuum, and it was so unstable that shit just went crazy. And the thing is, nobody pays attention to it. You know, we bombed a town in Guatemala. Mm -hmm. Because we wanted to, you know, unseat a president that we didn't want to be in power. You know, we got involved in Panama and somehow this canal was important to it. It's like everything we've done in this country has benefited just the rich, not everybody. The rich. Mm -hmm. But we've created a mess. And so I think going, you know, I hope Biden doesn't go and start doing a mess over there. But pay attention to what's going on like why is it that um we have so much money in the police force but teachers still have to buy their own supplies like right what, why wouldn't we want education to be number one to stop people you know from committing crimes and doing all this stuff like the prevention of it it's kind of like going like you know like having the best drugs to take care of your illness instead of having the best preventative care so you can never get sick and i think that's oh but we don't want that either yeah. apparently no, i mean that we want to we want to dismantle you know the affordable care yeah. act i'd rather sell drugs than to make sure that no one dies and everybody's healthy and i'd rather not educate people so you know but i want to put a police force to handle the masses that are not educated or or that seem to not have a chance to succeed so they have to do things to make sure that they can take care of themselves look crime is not something that i you know, like, ah, oh, yeah, everybody goes to a rap, people, you know, kill the rich and eat the rich or whatever people are saying, um, which would be funny, but <laughs> not what you should. <laughs> but um, I think that if people had the means to get educated, the means to get a loan, the means to get out of the situation they're in, that they would be less likely to do stuff. Like I know myself being on the street, you know, being a writer, doing bad things out there as a kid, 
you know, getting those opportunities that I got to move certain places, to see art as an option, to see, you know, education as an option. Just somebody put a book in my hand and said, look, we're going to help you out. You don't have to buy this book. Here it is. It changed everything for my it does. philosophy of like, this is the life that I thought I was going to have. And I was hitting a certain path and it was not a good path to, oh, I have all these options. Like I can go to an art school. I can go to this and that. And I can do that stuff. You know, you know, I, I'm living a more leisure life or getting educated, knowing that I had the ability to succeed. And, you know, yes, there's still places where I can't go or <laughs> I might not be you know, invited in certain neighborhoods. But the difference is that I have the ability to change my, you know, my reality. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm very privileged. I've been saying that to a lot of people in my family and my girlfriend. I was like, I feel like I'm privileged to where I came from to where I'm now. Um, so it's a... And education is, is what made all the difference for you. Same for me. And the reason, you know, why would they want to educate the masses if the educated masses know the capitalism is a, is a farce? Um, you know the the way this country going is is not great um educated people are not going to vote for somebody like trope but like uh somebody like trump in large large numbers yeah i think that that even the republicans that are in his team are like i just can't wait for him to go away no, the educated ones. Yeah. Then you've got like the Giuliani types. Oh, I who love Giuliani. Are... Giuliani is a perfect example of what America has become. You know, old racist mm-hmm. guy went to New York, became, you know, a lawmaker because he wanted to sort of stop these savages from destroying his New York. You know, in reality, he was just like, how do I keep the black people down or how do I push the black people out? Right. And, and he's he's like literally melting. Yeah. He's losing. Trump is, is having like the best trash can fire. He's just like everything <laughs> that you think that he could do. I mean, the fact of the matter that they did a, you know, it, it was a, a Four Seasons, you know, youth <laughs> conference, and it was the Four Seasons landscape. That to me was excellent. It's indicative of what that you know administration is and what Rudy. Rudy's such a character. I think like he is unreal. He came out in Borat. He's sweating balls out and ink and he's got all kinds of messiness and i just like he's gonna end up in jail and his he's and he's like the embodiment of that entire campaign and his daughter is like you know don't vote for him don't vote for trump like my dad is rudy giuliani and i'll tell you that i mean how bad is it that when your kids are giving interviews to the new york times and saying don't follow him he's an idiot um Mm -hmm. it's just a mess it's a mess, and I don't understand what, I mean, I just feel like if I was a man who wanted to succeed, I would not put him in my camp. I would oh, send no. him to the other camp and be like, here, I'll pay you to go hang out with those guys over there. He's like the lighter of the dumpster yeah. fire. <laughs> he's the lighter. I mean, fluid? Trump I feel like he's provides... the lighter fluid. He's the lighter fluid. Trump definitely provides enough garbage. Oh, yeah. He's the garbage. He's definitely the garbage. Um, and, and Pence, but, I mean, is he a zombie? Because that fly was on there. Pence in that debate was that like... That means his hair must be like a helmet. I, I don't know, but it was just creepy to have a fly just sit on it. And thinking that nobody in his camp was like, hey, let's walk in there and take that fly off. I mean, he just basically seems like 
I know that he was maybe thinking one day I'll be president now that I am vice president, but he's done. He's done forever. And I would have just walked away. I would have been like, you know what? I'm not running again. I'm out. Uh, it's just messy. And I think that everybody mm -hmm. involved in that is kind of like, you know, you thought you had something and then suddenly it just went down in flames and everybody now has to run. And I just feel like, what is going to happen next? I can't wait for Rudy to do another interview because I think that he can put the last nail in that coffin. Um, yeah. And what I'm waiting for is January when all the bills come and they're looking yeah. for Trump to pay them. And that's going to be excellent because maybe the U.S. government's not going to go after him. The world's going to go after him because he owes the world money. Yeah. And I, I want to see some hotel take the Trump name off and put some chunty ass name on it. You know, <laughs> it's just like <laughs> the wet bag hotel or something. I just want Trump stuff to get sold off because, you know, they're coming for him. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, I can't wait for people to drag Don Jr. to jail crying, you know, spilling his cocaine all over himself and, you know, screaming and kicking. And, and I, I, that whole family is done for. I yeah. feel that the racists will still like embrace them and, you know, they may go out there and do stuff and stuff like that. But the reality is that the Trumps are not in that realm. They don't like these people. And now that they don't have any power, with, they're not going to associate with them. They're going to try to, you know, if they don't leave the country, they're going to try to get away from them as much as possible. I, I feel yeah. like this mess is coming down. Um, I do want to uphold things like I want to, you know, if the new president comes in and Kamala comes in. I, I, want, I want people to hold them accountable for the shit that we need, you know. We need stricter yeah. protection for trans. We need to protect gay marriage, which is protected, but I don't know why they're trying to contest it. We need to start protecting our children, our, you know, our, our teachers, our education. I mean, doctors and nurses shouldn't have died from COVID. You know, absolutely. That's kind of like the things that we need to do when people are like, oh, if Biden wins, I'm moving to Canada. Well, Canada's socialist. Like, yeah. how stupid are you? Like, they have socialized medicine. They get paid yeah. stuff. They don't deal with the racists as good as we, you know, like, they deal with them. They don't fuck with them like we do. Like, we're letting them live. They, they fucking deal with them there. And plus, Canadians don't like Trumpers. No. They don't. No, not at all. You know? Canada. No, and, you know, here's the thing. Like, the, the privilege that oozes out of that sentiment of, like, if Trump wins, I'll leave. If Trump loses, I'll leave kind of situation. Yeah. You know, people in other countries had the same idea. <laughs> if a war breaks out, I'll leave. Yeah. And the same people who would just say, you know, I'll pack up and move to another country because, you know, I'm this white person from the United States and I have the right to go live wherever I want are the same people that would deny other people the same right to come live here. Yeah. Like, and like the privilege in that is like makes me so sick. It, it's ridiculous how these people feel like, oh, well, I don't want to let these immigrants come here. But then they think, oh, well, Canada will take me because I'm white. And Canada's like, nah, right. we're good. Thanks. We have enough crazy races that we're trying to deal with we don't need your kind uh right. and it's funny that once they started doing that there's so many videos that came out on tiktok on social media of canadians saying no we don't want you here 
Fuck you, Ed. Yeah, please don't come here. Yeah, don't come to <laughs> our country. Don't come We're here. socialists. Leave. And, you know, the best thing I saw was somebody saying, like, yeah, you know, if, if, if just us people from California don't vote, Trump can win. And to hear that was so ridiculous that the person asked again, wait, I'm sorry, did you say if California was left out, then Trump can win? And they were like, yeah. And so they were saying, oh, so you basically want people not to vote for Biden so Trump can win. That doesn't make any sense. Do you yeah. understand how that makes no sense? And so the person was like, no, I'm just you know, stating facts. And so now we're, we've gone from the point of like, we're witnessing delusional people, like a whole group of people that are delusional that think that this is the way it is. But the reality right. is completely different. The Proud Boys are led by a Cuban-American, Afro-Latino. That's who co-started it. Oh, wow, I did not it. know that. That's who co-started it. The president is writing, is reading the hate speeches from a Jewish man from Santa Monica. So you got all these other weird brown people that are telling, or ethnic people that are telling these racists what to say and how to do stuff. And these guys are just going along with it. And I'm thinking, if you really hate these people, why are you listening this Afro-Latino guy tell you what to say. Right. Why? And it tells you, sadly, that there's Afro-Latinos out there that are going to subscribe to whiteness if they've benefited from it. Of course, because a lot of people feel like if I can relate to these white people, I'm okay. But it's like, mm-hmm. no, man, if they see you on the street, they, they'll do something. They won't even care. You know, they. you have to tell them, oh, no, no, I'm one of you guys. I'm, I'm a proud boy. Too. Why would you live like that? You know yeah, and, that no. and that's, to me, the, the worst part is this. You know, the, the Stephen Miller guy, the, the guy who writes all the hate speech for Trump, he's the one that came up with the idea, like, you don't have to get everybody on board. You just have to make a few hundred thousand people mad and the rest will follow. And that was a good strategy. Right. He got people mad, said lies, didn't even have to be facts, just made up shit. Like, oh, this came out of that. If you put bleach in your body, you know, that'll work. You know, like, I was so happy <laughs> when he said that because I was like, please, I let all, please, all these racists should put bleach in their body. See what happens. But not that I want people to die, but um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the fact that, that, that he's have this guy who grew up in Santa Monica, who had no friends in high school, and his only friend was this Mexican kid. And then suddenly he started listening to like hate speech on, you know, on the radio and thinking that it related to him, which they were actually talking points against Jewish people. And he kind of subscribed to that. And then he told his brown friend, I can't be your friend anymore because you're oh wow you're latino and then went on to work for republicans at the white you know at congress and everywhere else and then finally weaseled his way into trump's and that to me that was so crazy like how's this jewish kid from santa monica go against everything he you know he is to go and support some guy and then start creating this whole hate movement and the fact yeah, that we have a word is a- hate speech Hate speech. Yeah, no, I mean, privilege is a dangerous thing. If you get a little bit of a taste of it, you're going to, you know, again, that's like American exceptionalism, individualism. You know, if you get a little taste of success, you're going to step over anybody you need to step over to get more. And then we again um, we circle around to Trump's Latinos for Trump. Yeah, exactly. They got a little bit of power yeah. and they felt that they can do that. I mean, right. Honestly, I don't know anybody in Florida. If I did, I hope they move, but I don't care if that place sinks. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I don't care about Disney World. Uh, uh, that's it. 
I don't know. Miami, I guess, I guess has good culture, but they're they're whacked out of their mind. I mean, everybody, you know. Yeah. You live in Florida, man. There's sinkholes. There's alligators. That place wants to kill you. Move. Let it sink. It's okay. <laughs> I, I, I say flood Florida every day. I think, uh, you know, the other important thing that we need to get rid of, and this is this would be getting rid of the power of places like Florida, is we really need to get rid of the Electoral College. Yes. And if anybody knows the history of the Electoral College, it is basically yes. to keep people from voting the right way. Yes. It's to yeah. keep people, minorities, brown people, black but It started to yeah. keep black people from voting. Um, Correct. To give power yep. to the to the few that can afford it. So, yeah, yep. that's the first things first. Get rid of the electoral college. Uh, get rid of the electoral college. Make sure that we're a true democracy with you know popular vote. Um, and then, really, what I would love to see is more people in the working class joining more of a working class centric uh, group. Like DSA does a good job of this. Um, because again, if we can tap into what we have in common more than what we have different, I think we're the most more powerful group in the country. Yeah, I mean, California should totally see a shift um, because of the number of Latinos that'll be here in the next five to ten years. Um, yep. And I think that every other country is going to change as well. I mean, every other county is going to change as well, and every other state is going to change as well. I mean, I want to see things like what happened in Georgia. Where Georgia just flipped. Like, yeah. who would have thought Georgia would have voted for Biden? You know, like, right. who would have thought all these other places? I mean, it, it's just, it's amazing. Um, you know, Ohio, of course, is still red. So it's cool. I don't have to go to Ohio. I feel like all my travel plans have now been made for me. Anything that's blue, that's where I'm going to head to. Everybody else can, <laughs> Any place that's blue, you'll yeah, go there. Everybody else can go eat shit for all I care. And I think the whole country's seeing that too. And I think that it's very dangerous that people will follow this guy because they don't know the ramifications of it. So we will see the ramifications of what happened in the Trump era when COVID is over. And I think that's going to be very, very eye-opening when certain places now feel like they can't get any tourism to come in or people are not wanting to invest in it. People are moving out. When you lose um, a group, of, an ethnic group of color out of your you know, county or your area, you start to lose a certain identity that could flourish more money, more investment, more life. If you look at communities that allow people from different color to just live among themselves, there's a huge, you know, I mean, I look at New Orleans, even though there's racism there, but I look at it and see how people are still living among each other and everybody understands what it is. And so every kinds of people show up and you're all welcome. And then right. there's places where they're not, and they feel like they're being pushed out. They end up being smoky towns that like have nobody but white people in it. That somehow, in some days, end up dying out because right. even the younger generations are going to move out. No one's going to live in, in a place that's empty that's only one kind. I had one question mm -hmm. when I yeah. when I mentioned different people in this neighborhood. What do you think about the title of person of color, and should we start using? BIPOC instead of PLC? Um, I've, I've seen the BIPOC being used more than POC lately, and I, I agree with the specifying that you're including um, Black and Indigenous, yeah. because I think POC uh, 
or let me phrase it this way, black and indigenous get left out of a lot um, of opportunities, a lot of uh, social opportunities. Um, and so if we don't make a point, it's kind of like saying Black Lives Matter. If we don't make a point of saying these names, of, of talking about these people, they, they tend to not always be explicitly included. So saying Black, Indigenous, and people of color, um, I think is the right way to go to make sure everybody's included. Um, for me, it's, it's kind of weird because people of color to me, I, I imagine meant more of like your ethnicity. Um, whereas I think more correctly, it is how you're actually physically perceived. And so for me, I identify as a Latina woman, but not as a person of color because I am perceived as white. And that, see, that's where I wanted to get at. I heard a black woman tell me, I don't like the title of PLC, person of color, because I'm a black woman. And so I thought, that's great. Like, what if is PLC, what is PLC doing for us? Is it really helping us out or is it hindering us? Um, if you, if groups will need a PLC person to be part of their team, you know, and they choose, you know, an Asian woman or an Indian person, it doesn't mean that they represent everybody. So right. having the distinction of, you know, black indigenous and person of color, maybe we need something more. I mean, how big is the acronym going to get? Um, is it time for Well, us? if you, huh? if, for those of us that started off in the LGBT community, that is now the LGBTQQIA <laughs> <laughs> and probably a whole lot more on there. Yeah. I think I think there gets there needs to come a point where we stop having to label yes. everything, you know, like from the LGBT perspective and all its following letters. You know, we, we talk about sexuality being a, a, a fluidity, um, you know, maybe not even a continuum, but an infinity loop of of fluidity. Same with gender. Yeah. Um, so to have to pick a letter that describes where you are on some gender spectrum and, uh, and another letter that describes where you are on um, your gender identity uh, and your sexuality, uh, whether you have a sexuality, which, you know, honestly, nobody's business to begin with, um, you know, like now we're having to pick letters to describe like how colorful am i am i brown enough to be a poc um you've got those of us of mixed race that sometimes just kind of get lopped off of everything and it, you know we're the decline to state box yeah i always on everything. i always call it the others <laughs> the <laughs> others yeah when you know or the otms and uh, OTMs are for brown people. Like it's what the cops used to write in little. They had, cops used to carry these cards where they used to like see people and they wanted to like tag and catalog people from the neighborhood. Like, oh, are you a gangster? What do they call you? Uh, what tattoos do you have? So they would oh, write wow. these blue cards and they would write them. And when you weren't Mexican, they would check off OTM. And OTM meant other than Mexican. So they couldn't oh, even wow. call you Latino or. <laughs> or native or anything you were just an otm so in that neighborhood they assumed that every gangster was mexican and that's all they knew but wow. this is how institutional but if you were not you were otm it was a card that was printed and it had wow. otm on it that means that they were like 
they were trying to this gang unit was trying to just say like there's mexicans and there's other than mexican that's <laughs> it that was it <laughs> that's so it. for a long time and somebody told me that when i was a kid you know i i read i, I heard a cop tell me that and i was an explorer i was an rpd explorer so <laughs> after a while we just started fucking with each other we used to call each other otms so we, we would be like, <laughs> somebody would be like, oh, you like this? It's Mexican. Are you Mexican? And then somebody would be like, nah, he's an OTM. And it, it was just yep. the thing that was. But the fact I'm gonna that, use that. Yeah, the fact that they had that. So, like, I always remember when I would, when I would check out things, it was always other, and I would always have to write what I was. Yep. And so I was always one of the others. And so OTM was so perfect when I heard it. I was like, oh, OTM, perfect. Yeah. That is yeah. I mean, for me, it's the same. Like, usually it's like pick one. But you can't. But I can't pick one. Yeah. So I'll just pick the other, I guess. And then you know. To top it off, my birth certificate says I'm Caucasian. So it's like, wow. I went to get my birth certificate and it was Caucasian. Because at that time, they didn't have a Latino or Hispanic. They weren't classifying us as that. It was oh, just okay. a census thing. They had like yeah you know hispanic latino came later on well that's the whole thing with with race anyway it's this construct this invention that people are gonna deconstruct and reconstruct anytime it fits their needs right just everybody should be themselves i mean you know there's people that are you know sexuality is such a thing where there there are people that are just like look i don't subscribe to any of them i subscribe to everything at the same time yeah and that's yeah. okay because that's not me mm-hmm. that's them like they can do whatever yeah. they need to do to exactly themselves. and for a long time we were denied our own identity we had to find our identity through a culture that told us what we were supposed to be you're either white or you're not white and then you can try to act white so you can be that but how beautiful is it to just be your own identity and take from your culture and mm-hmm. take from every culture you know i'm an american right. so i can take the american culture and make it mine because i'm in this country and i was born in this mm-hmm. country but i'm also latino and i'm also afro-latino and i'm also this and so all those things and of, la we're you know yeah. we're from la we're californians that's its own thing you know and somebody said to me like when was it a crime to be part of the white culture and it's like it's not there's so many great things about white culture but white supremacy I, well, and white ideals of like they're the best is different than saying look I love all these things and you're also an American mm-hmm. so you love black music you love rock and roll all these have been provided to you by black people so you cannot deny that and you can't act like that's not right. a part of the culture but yeah I mean I would just start countering that with can you describe what white culture is because there isn't one white is not a culture it's not a culture Nordic Czechoslovakia you know Italian Middle Eastern yeah those are cultures those are cultures. You want exactly. to go back? Yeah, go back to your roots. Norway, you know, go back to Ireland, go back to England, mm-hmm. go back to German. There's so many great things about all those countries that you can bring into them. But being white in America is not a culture. It's not. It's just a skin I color. mean, unless you count hot dogs. <laughs> hot dogs <laughs> are German. <laughs> oh, that's true. They came from Germany, and Minnesota was a big thing. They were serving them. They were no, but you know, honestly, I really feel like if a German ate like a, you know hot like united states hot dog that would be they would be appalled oh of course yeah yeah i mean if you look at the there's a great show called the taste of america which is man her name escapes me but it's the woman who was the co-host of top chef and uh she's an indian woman who was a model before and amazing oh yeah yeah and she wrote a book about cooking and stuff like that and she really loves food and she made this 
beautiful, beautiful show called Taste of America, where she goes and talks about immigrant food, and part of it was the hot dogs and stuff like that, because she wasn't going to deny that, you know, white culture also has immigrant food, and and yeah. it's all these stories, and they talk about mm-hmm. stuff like where the hot dog came from, and these immigrants that came to this country, and what they were trying to do and keep their you know traditions alive and then she talks about like black food and mexican food but one of the most beautiful articles was about food sovereignty and it was about how indian people lost their food because they were put in these camps they were marched across america to die and then they were put in these isolated pieces of land saying here's where you live now and we're going to provide you with these stinks cheese and flour and you're going to eat this shit and that wasn't what they ate yeah this this you know indian tortilla that they call indian bread that's not theirs they didn't have that didn't have processed cheese all the stuff that they were given changed their diet and the way that they are Mm -hmm. and put them at risk for diabetes and heart disease and so forth and that's not who these people were these people ate differently they ate from the land and in this show she basically just shows them how like this woman shows her how they used to originally eat and it's so beautiful and it's so amazing and it also made me super sad that the real Americans, the Native Americans, who is a culture, were almost decimated. And then they were yep. taken from their land and transplanted somewhere else. And then they were given food that wasn't their original food. Those are the only people that mm-hmm. could say, yes, this is how it is to be an American, because they're the only ones. Absolutely. They've been here way before. I've now. actually been watching these um like TikTok compilations on Facebook by, uh, and I, her name escapes me. I'm not going to look it up right now, but it's a, a young gal who is from Northern Alaska mm. and she's from an indigenous tribe to that area. And she makes these videos on, on just how she lives. Like, you know, they catch a whale and they'll cut it up and use the different parts of the whale. And they have this like, kind of like a, basement bunker just built into the into the tundra into the ice and that's where they keep their food frozen year round um it's amazing it's absolutely amazing okay i'll find it and send it to you but like these videos are amazing to get you know and here's like sustainability is built into indigenous ways of life Uh, respect for the environment is built into indigenous ways of life it's it's Um, sovereignty it's basically taking back yeah, their culture, the real culture, and saying this absolutely. Is and I think that's what um, you know, because I have a lot of white friends, and and the great thing about my friends is that they'll tell me where you know they're from and this and that, and they relate to their back of their countries and stuff like that. And I, this is why they're my friends, and and their identity is not based on the fact that they have white skin; it's based on the fact that they come from somewhere, and this is the things that right. they did and they ate. And usually, food is a great way to like mesh things together and make people yep. a little bit more comfortable. And so we talk about food a lot and about drink and everything. And I feel like we all need to have that retention of our culture through our food just to start the conversation. And to have Native Americans say that they had been robbed of that is such a crime, you know, because it's horrible. you took yeah. away their culture, you took away their land, you pushed them out of Georgia, you pushed them out of different countries, you know, states. And they brought some of that stuff back and they're trying to get it back together. Um, and the only times they survive is when they were able to mix with other cultures, Native American and black, Native American and Indian, I mean, and Mexican, Native American and, you know, white. And they were able to keep some of those things in their, in their culture. But 
it's really hard and i feel like there's a lot of people claiming to be native american oh i'm part cherokee i'm part this and you know some are some are not but it's a way that they've kept to i'm not going to be decimated completely so i'm going to mix with this culture and that culture to kind of keep a little bit of my own um, right and so i think that having you know tiktok is really um i've noticed that that there's a lot of native american presence on it and i've seen yeah. a lot of that there which makes me proud yeah. because it's like Yes, I want to see everybody dancing, but how cool is it to see somebody do their Native American dance? Something that, like, in places that I would love to be yeah. at, you know, like Utah and Scion Park, like, you know, places like New Mexico, like, amazing places that this is America. So let's talk about America, and these are the people there. So that's uh, that's super wonderful that, that this woman is doing that in Alaska, especially because, you know, how do you survive in an environment like that? You know, and the fact right. no, that and that's the interesting the thing is put their ice pots. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Like the tundra is their icebox. You know, it's crazy that's cool. Crazy. That's the reason why that lady, that Mexican grandma, has like a million something, or maybe oh, I know. I've also been watching a Peruvian lady who makes oh, really? who makes food outdoor. You know, outdoors up in some mountain in Peru. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, there's no shortage of young American people like wanting to learn from our elders no. about these no. and cultures I, and i think this is um, you know it's unfair to just be like it's black and white like if you see somebody with an american flag they're automatically evil or they're and i think there's just a lot of people trying to learn about different cultures because they want to know what it yeah. is you know it's hard to know what some black families have gone through um it's hard to know all these stories and, and that's something that i want to kind of go into like start telling the real stories not the history that was told by the colonizers but the stories of like what really happened yeah. and um right you know those are coming soon and, and i feel like it's good for us to learn a lot of different things but um there's a big 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 large white community that wants to know about things that happen and they don't relate to these you know gun toting finger pointing um us against them people that are out there and it's really sad right. because i think a lot of people are going to be left behind that's the truth you know the world's going to move yeah and racism is not going to win because it just doesn't make any money. And that's the truth. Right. No, money ma money changes everything and money moves everything. So racism right. is not an entertainment. So it's not going to make any money. Racism can't provide you a dish that you can't get anywhere. Racism is not a drug. So it's not going to survive. Um, yeah. And there's going to be continuing racism. That's not going to change. But those people are going to be left behind. And eventually they're going to get madder and madder. Uh, and when things come to a head, they're always going to lose. Never win. If that was true, the Nazis would have still been like had an empire and they don't have anything now. They have to hide in basements with their moms yelling at them to take out the trash because they, they don't have anywhere else to go. That's just right. the way it is. Yep. So that's I think you're chipping away at that in your own way with the with this podcast too. Well, like I'm trying. I want to get everybody to... involved. I want this is not just for brown people, this is for white people, this is for Asian people, it's for everybody. Are you a big fan of Sweet Lotus? Oh hell yeah. Yeah, in El Salvador, we call him Elote Loco. Elote Loco, okay. Elote Loco, so I still call him that. Uh, and we call the raspados minutas. Minutas? Minuta. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's crazy. The, like the, the ice raspados. Do you guys have champurrado there too? No. Okay, that's gross. No. That's like a porridge I drink. love it. Champurrado? Oh, no. I love champurrado. I feel like it's like if somebody took chalk and then they put it in a drink. And they're like, here's some chalk for you. And it looks chocolate. See? So, okay, so this is where I'll make a, a confession that 
other Salvadorans might not like. I do prefer Mexican horchata to Salvadoran horchata. Oh, dang. Shots fired. And that is because, <laughs> I know. And But that's mostly because the Salvadoran horchata is very chalky. Oh. It has a lot of the powder, the yeah, morro powder yeah, in there. Yeah. Um, what about? But I do like champurrado, but I, I never, so Mexican food is one of my favorites for sure. Yeah. One of my favorite foods. But I never had Mexican food before I moved to L.A. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, and, and a lot of people, again, it, maybe something people don't realize is not all Latin American food's the same. So, when you were living in you know, England, what were you eating? What was your thing? Uh, a lot of very bland vegetables. Oh, that sucks. But fish yeah. and chips. I love fish and chips. Fish and chips. Yeah, yeah. I do love fish and chips yeah, too. Yeah. It's a good thing. But that's not an everyday no, thing there. It's like I a mean, street thing so, thing. you know, we were mostly eating beans on toast at home. Dang. Uh, but. I will say this last trip I went. So as a kid, I never got the chance to go to London. And this last time I went to England, I actually spent some time in London. And London's a very diverse city. Yeah. And the markets there do have a whole international food, street food situation. Isn't curry like their dish now? Their, Their national dish is curry? Yeah. Isn't that ironic? So this... The British love curry and they love tea. Both things stolen from India. There you go. See? Uh, kind of shows you how the world works sometimes. But yeah, uh, curry. They love curry. Are you a, are you a pozole person or a menudo? Pozole. That's right. Yeah. Menudo is just so gross. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, I don't eat meat. So even pozole, it's like pozole, I find it easier to either pick the meat out or ask for it without. Yeah. They, they cook it that. separate yeah. but menudo is just so much meat that there's nothing else like with pozole i really like the is it the hominy the yeah, big corn, the big corn the that's hominy. in there mm-hmm. yeah i, I do like put, that and you can put cabbage on it and stuff like that and yeah, yeah yeah i do like pozole what about tahini are you a fav- tahini user yes uh, yeah. yeah we have the giant costco size ta- tahini at oh, home shit. Yeah. yeah i even have like a little small one that you have in your you put in your bag so like your, oh yeah, your I have one of those tahini. too. Yeah, definitely. I actually, mine was a gift from from uh, an old coworker. Oh. Um, because she saw me bringing the big Costco one to work with me, <laughs> <laughs> and it takes up my whole you know lunch bag. Yeah, definitely. And so she showed up the next day. She's like, "Here, you need this little thing." Um, I had so much fun. It was great. I like talking to you. It was a great talk about diversity and you know growing up in a bland. Uh, country and eating bland <laughs> food and, and um hey but then i got to go to el salvador from there and eat pupusa so, it's, so then it's, you, it's all okay now lifetime of like eating bland food then you went to el salvador like pupusas and rellenos and stuff we have this yes. thing in guatemala where they take a plantain and they make it into like a little little bullet or something and then they put sweet black beans inside of it do you guys have that oh yeah pasalitos okay we call them rellenos but you guys call them pasalitos yeah yeah, so... Or empanadas, see? sometimes empanadas. That's another reason yeah. why people should get a brown person in their group. Yes, preferably like that. one that cooks. Yeah, because then you can eat st- good stuff like this, yeah. Yes. Uh, but thank you for being on the show, and I appreciate you. And um, if you guys want to follow her uh, and take her classes, where should they go? They should just go to RebeccaJoyce.com or LAPhotoInstructor.com. They all go to the same place. 
Um, you can see my work there and or hire me for classes if you're interested in learning about photography. Definitely. And she's also a photographer for hire. So if you guys want to do some. Uh, yeah, for sure. I don't know how comfortable that would be nowadays, but, you know, if you have a wedding. Yeah, I'm always open to, to collaborate with people, too, you know, because this is the time to, to kind of express yourself creatively. Get creative for sure. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for listening and hope to hear from you guys soon or see you guys soon. One day, when this is all over. One day, yes. Yeah. Thank you, Drew. Bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Also follow us on Instagram. Leave a like, leave a comment, tell a friend, share our stories. And remember, if you don't see color, you don't see beauty.